Hey everybody, this is Chuck here with a tour show announcement. We're going to be back at Sketchfest this year in January in lovely San Francisco. Uh, we don't have the firm date on that yet, but stay tuned for details. But we do know when we're going to be in Seattle and Portland. We're going to be in Seattle on January 15th and Portland the next day, January 16th. That's at the Moore Theater and Revolution Hall, respectively. And there is a pre-sale going on today for the Seattle show. Use the code HIPPYROB. You can either go to the Moore Theater website or just go to HTTP colon slash slash bit dot do slash Seattle Live and use the code HIPPYROB to get your pre-sale tickets. Portland goes on sale tomorrow. And that would be bit.do slash PDX Live. Come out and see us, everybody. We're looking forward to these. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast again, to the actual real episode 1000 of Stuff You Should Know, the 1000th episode of Stuff You Should Know. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry over there. Chuck, episode 1000 is upon us right now. You know what my mom used to always say when I was a little kid? What? She said, son, if you live your life right, one day you're going to have a four-digit podcast. Oh, wow. You know? She had some real predictive powers. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I'm going to take her to the horse track. Uh, you should do that, and we should probably just get right into this since we left everyone with a cliffhanger, huh? Yeah, agreed, agreed. Everyone's like, shut up. I almost feel like we should apologize for splitting this up, but this just there's no way to get this done in one episode. Nope, there really isn't. All right, so uh, you may remember us from certain podcasts <laughs> as Simpsons Tribute. Uh, when we left off, I believe we had told our writer's room story. We had, so that's as far as we got. No, we got to the table read part. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Uh, sorry, table table read story. So once the table read happens, then all of the um, – is everybody with us? I guess they've had a few days for this to stew, right? <laughs> to disco stew. Yeah. <laughs> that's another great one too. Yep. Um, so after the table read, everybody's kind of got their ideas down. The notes get sent out, edits get made, <clears throat> that kind of thing. And then the uh, voice actors all go do their parts. And uh, I think a lot of people think that they're all in the same room together acting off of one another. That is not at all the case. Yeah. I mean, this uh, this is no surprise. Like, people know that's how animation works. You don't all get in a big room and read to each other. Well, You're, you're in a for, booth by yourself. Right. And um, it's really up to the director now at this point. So once the once the show or the episodes get divided up or whatever, they get handed off to directors. And there's multiple directors for The Simpsons, right? Correct. And so the director, or I should say in this case, I think it's the producer who would be handling the audio bit at this part. And the director really is working on the animation part. But they, they go off and they record the audio, the dialogue, and the sound. And they hand it off. And at the same time, there are animators who are working very closely with the director to bring the script to life. And to do that, this is totally different from a live action show. Yeah. Right? Because at a live action show, you write the script and then people mess with the script or whatever and you rehearse it and everything and then you shoot it. This is different. You have to draw everything out. There's a, several extra steps for any animated show. And from what I understand, The Simpsons do far more than any other animated show on television today 
It's way more expensive. There's way more steps. But you could argue it produces a, a, a really polished, finished product. Yeah. And so the steps really begin, as far as animation is concerned, by creating a storyboard slash story reel. Yeah, and this whole process, soup to nuts, can take about six to eight months from pitching the episode to having a completed episode. So they're, they're constantly working this process. Like as soon as they have recorded those lines, there's already writers working on the other episodes. It's like a just a constant cycle going basically. Right. There's different groups of writers. There's different groups of directors and producers and, and animators, and they're, they're working simultaneously on, di- on multiple episodes. All right, so we're at the story reel, and what the story reel does, it uh, sort of just sets the the basics down for each scene, uh, how you position the characters, what kind of expressions they're making, what's going on in the background, and then this goes on to more artists who refine that storyboard and story reel. Right, and so um, apparently they used to do storyboard and then story reel, which is like um, the storyboard is just like a bunch of stills. I've seen it compared to like a picture book maybe. Yeah, it's like a comic strip. Whereas like a story reel would have a little more movement and animation and motion to it. Apparently they've combined those now in their process. Okay. And then there's also another step called layout, and I think layout is – takes the longest of all of the the parts of putting an episode together because again if you compare it to like a live action television show when you shoot a rehearsal the the director and the producer and the writers can go back and watch and then make notes yeah when you're animating a show you have to animate that rehearsal you have to animate the rehearsal so that the director and the head, the the showrunner and and the, the everybody else can can get together and then make those notes. So you have to kind of animate it first, and you want to get it to a certain level of completion so that you you know what's going to come out ultimately in the end. Um, but you you stop short of actually animating the entire thing because apparently the Simpsons shoot their um, show in like 24 frames per second and what they're doing say as far as layout which is about the most finished product they're going to do in house um, is maybe a third of that or a quarter of that yeah so that means somebody has to go and fill it in and once they've got everything set and we'll talk more about that they send it overseas yeah and uh, with this layout like we talked earlier about the style guide in the show bible and this is where that really comes into play because you have different people drawing, and everyone has their own style uh, unto themselves, but you have to remain true to the show. Mm-hmm. So that show Bible and style guide are really sort of the rules of the show that everyone can refer to and say, no, when Homer yells, literally, like, his lips do this. Exactly. Like, that's how that's how it works, and we can't deviate from that. It's got to be consistent. Right, and – um I saw a couple of style guides, and for example, if you look closely, I never noticed this, but the nose always overlaps the eye. Uh-huh. The eye is never drawn over the nose. Um, their teeth are never square or pointy. They're always slightly rounded, but not too round. So you'll see like examples of these things, and you'll see examples of yes and no kind of thing. Um, and here's a bit of trivia for you, <clears throat> especially if you're an animation nerd. Bart's body minus his shoes, but from his shoes up, is two heads high. 
So his body and his head are the same size. Oh, interesting. And then you have his shoes. And if you put all those three things together, you have a, a correctly proportioned Bart. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, all right. So once you have the layout done, you move on to something uh, called an exposure sheet. Uh, and this is a pretty complicated chart, basically, that really breaks down in super, super precise detail each frame and everything in the entire episode. So, So think about this, Chuck. The Simpsons shoots 24 frames per second. Yeah. And let's say that it's uh, the average episode is 22 minutes of actual content, right? Yeah. So if you'll allow me to pull out my Texas Instrument pocket calculator, as I am doing right now, we're going to do 24 times 60 times 22 equals 31,680 frames in, say, a 22-minute episode, okay? Amazing. Amazing indeed. So get this, man. With those exposure sheets you were just mentioning, every single one of those 31,680 frames Mm -hmm. is accounted for. Everything that's going on in every single one of those frames is written down and accounted for. Like not not just like the movements of of Homer's eyes or what Homer's doing, but also what the background characters are doing. Yeah. How how wispy um, Patty or Selma's cigarette smoke is. Yeah. Um, and you do this for every single character, whether foreground or background, in every single scene, in every for every single frame of every single episode for thirty years. Isn't that <laughs> insane? Yeah. They break down words into phonemes. So they can, so everything just matches up and times outright for not only to be realistic, but for comedy. Right, exactly. And the whole reason they're doing this is for what I said earlier, that the the people who actually do the animation, the people who draw those 31,860 frames for every episode, they're located overseas. Um, I think with... The Simpsons in particular, they work with ACOM, yeah. which is a, a South Korean company, um, and they do the actual animation. Most animation from here in the States is actually done overseas in Asia for the most part. But yeah, like ACOM, the final, final animation. Yeah, right. Uh, the ones who, who, the people who do the actual, like, animation of every single frame. So funny? up to the point here in the United States, in-house, they've gotten it pretty close. But again, they've just maybe animated a quarter or a sixth of the actual frames that are going to be animated for the episode. And they've gotten it as far as they have because they're trying to f- work out the acting, the comedic timing, making sure that all the facial expressions are right and the movements are right. But then the people actually go through and animate those frames based on that frame by frame Bible yeah. uh, for every single episode. And it, it serves as a blueprint for both the animators and for the Simpsons creators because they can point to it and be like, no, we didn't want this. You guys need to reanimate that. Supposedly, and this is like the, the most mind-bendingly detailed process anyone's ever done. Supposedly, the Simpsons kept it up longer than anybody, but even they have moved to a, a, a almost all digital process now. Yeah, I mean, they use software that has streamlined some of this. Um but it's not like they plug things into a computer and it animates things, you know? Right. No, no. They're they're just using it to say, like, rather than using a film stock to to slowly capture each phoneme frame by frame, now it's all digitized. Like, they can upload the audio, upload the layout, 
and put them together and time it like that, which is, I'm sure the production assistants' lives are so much better now. <laughs> yeah, and of course, once it's animated, it comes back from uh, ACOM in South Korea, and then it's sent to the editor and producers. They're going to add all the music, the, the of course, the iconic score from uh, Danny Elfman. Yeah. And uh, it's edited all together, and you slap it on the television. Slap it on the behind. Wow. I know, and each one of those takes about six months, right? Yeah. To get an episode done. And again, like I've read, uh, South Park can, can be done in a week. Well, yeah, that's how they, there's that great documentary about South Park, how they put together a show and the, um, they do that so they can stay super, super current. Right. Uh, which is how that show works, you know? Yeah, for sure. Different and, beast. And it, I mean, it looks good too, especially once they made their mark on this is what this style of animation looks like. Now it's just like, you're totally absorbed into their world the moment you see it, you know? Yeah. All right. So uh, let's talk a little bit about Springfield, um, the beloved Springfield, USA, where the show is set. Uh, it has been a, a, a running joke over the years. Uh, Graining picked Springfield because there are many, many Springfields in the country here in the United States. And mm-hmm. uh, one of the running jokes is that they have never named where exactly what state Springfield is in and shall not. No, although supposedly in, I don't know, the last couple of years, he gave an interview and said that he named it after Springfield, Oregon, because he's apparently from Portland. And so everybody's like, oh, that's where Springfield is. And I think the next episode they released, Bart's chalkboard gag said, Springfield is in any state that... But yours. not Yeah, but yours, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean... I think he he might have named it because a lot of the streets in uh, Portland are, are in The Simpsons as well, but uh, as characters. But I don't think he was saying, and this is why they did that. I don't think he was saying, "Hey, it's in Oregon." That's just where he got the name originally. Right. Uh, the, I think yeah. The reason he he chose that name was just to make it as generic as possible and as relatable as possible to any you know small town. And the grabster makes a pretty good point. Um, that Simp- the, that Springfield is, y- you could mistake it for any small town. Everybody knows everybody else's name. Everybody knows everyone else's business. Um, it's just a small town. But then just to keep the plot going, and this is one of the great benefits of making it an animated show, mm-hmm. it also has a gorge. It has not one but two mountains. Yeah. It has like world-class museums. It's got a volcano. An, an airport. <laughs> yeah, a volcano. It has a squid port. Like the, uh, the, the waterside, um, area that they redeveloped. Um, it has malls. It has a casino. It's got like all this stuff. Um, and so it's a relatable small town, but at the same time, they just played with it and made it as big as they want it to be too. Uh, yeah. And of course, aside from all the big, huge things, uh, The Simpsons has gotten a lot of comedy over the years from the names of the businesses. Yeah. Um, a few of my favorites. Uh, there was a pastry shop called the French Confection. Yeah. Uh, there was a, there a museum, uh, Louvre American Style. <laughs> Did you ever watch that show, Love American Style? Oh yeah. It was so great. Um, the soup kitchen was called, uh, Helter Shelter. <laughs> uh, and there was a seafood restaurant called The Frying Dutchman. Yeah. And those are just a few. That's, uh, like sort of a long running gag is to get good pun names out of the businesses. So there, um, in addition to, uh, Matt Groening saying that it was, that he chose or he named it after Springfield, Oregon, there's a, an episode that, um, 
certain purists point to as the tipping point where this, the Simpsons went from good to bad. Uh, it was the end of season 10. And the episode was like a behind the laughter or behind the music parody. Yeah. <clears throat> it was called Behind the Laughter. Yeah, I remember that one. And in it, they the, at the very end, the narrator references them as a North Northern Kentucky family, but they they That's knew right. that they yeah that, and I was like well they just said it, but then apparently for reruns they had the narrator also record a different a couple of other um, states. Oh, so it's just totally up in the air. One of them was apparently um, Lanai, like Lanai, Hawaii. <laughs> Springfield, Lanai, Hawaii, apparently is a place, but it's it's not, of course. And then, just to kind of, it, they took that fact that that they never identified Springfield, and they managed to use that as like a running gag as well, right? So this referential humor that the show is is deeply involved in also was self-referential too, and that like anytime somebody went to point to a map where Springfield was, somebody would get in front of the camera, in between you and the camera, yeah. Um, or would suddenly talk over somebody who was about to say what state Springfield was in. So it just became a, a kind of an in joke for people who watched The Simpsons as well. Yeah, and I think Ned even at one point said uh, the state borders Kentucky, Maine, Nevada, and Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> so no one knows where Springfield is, but I think that Bart chalkboard thing was was the closest we'll ever get to it. And, yeah. and who want? Why would why would you want to know where it is? You know what I'm no, saying? No, I, I get that certain nerds might be like, I want to solve this, but to me, that's just part of the charm of the show. Sure, you know, agreed. So, um, th- I want to say something. I mentioned museums, and you mentioned the Louvre American style. I wonder <laughs> if that was the one. But there was one episode where the Simpsons went to a museum, and they took the audio tour, and the audio tour was hosted by Melanie Griffith. But rather than like talk about the paintings, the whole thing consisted of her going, "Ooh, this one's nice. Ooh, look at this one. Oh, this painting's nice. Let's see what's in the next room. Oh, this room's nice." Like that was the audio tour. That's great. It was great, man. So aside from the multiple universities, the sports teams and stadiums, the international airport, mm-hmm. the tire fire, the mystery spot. And all the huge landmarks in this small town, you're going to see The Simpsons spend a lot of time at places like Quickie Mart, uh, Moe's Tavern. Uh, the power Spr- Plant. Power Plant, where Homer works. Springfield Elementary, where Bart and Lisa have been going to school for 30 years. Which is, I think that he decided early on he didn't want to age the characters at all. Yeah, uh, it was a good choice. Yeah, because it can go on forever. Very it's smart bad news, move. Bad news for Maggie, because she doesn't have many lines. Yeah, that's true. And I think... Matt Groening does the uh, pacifier suck. I saw that, too. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, next door to Homer lives uh, one Ned Flanders with his family. And here's another little tidbit that I did not know. I don't know how it got past me, but apparently Ned Flanders is 60 years old. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, he's kept his youthful looks with a healthy dose of vitamin church. <laughs> yeah. It always cracks me up that Ned just looks like a normal guy until, like, like in the skiing ep- uh, episode where they were skiing when he's all buff and his buns yeah. are all tight. And <laughs> or in the uh, uh, a streetcar named Marge episode, he has to yeah. take his, his shirt off because he's playing Stanley Kowalski, I think. Uh-huh. And he's like ripped. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a break here. Okay. We're going to come back and talk a little bit about the odd uh, episode numbering code right after okay. this. Let's do it. 
All right. So if you're a Simpsons fan, you might say, what about season seven, episode three? That's good enough for us. (laughs) It is good enough for us. But you'd be mistaken because they have a very – What's the word? Not obscure, but just very convoluted way of numbering their episodes. Yeah, they do it. So remember, they're working on multiple episodes at once. Yeah. And not all of those episodes make it into the same season. So the way that they keep track of their episodes is by batch number. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see anywhere how many can be in a batch. Did you? Uh, No. But let's say let's say between six and a baker's dozen. <laughs> Okay. That's my guess. Sure. Stab in the dark. And maybe Matt Groening will write in to correct us one way or another. Oh, I hope so. But um, the batch number and letter is the first two digits or um, whatever you want to call them. Number the, and digit. Or number and uh, letter, sorry. Right. That's what I was having problems with. <laughs> so, like, for example, season four, episode six, that would be um, 9F03. And the 03 is the number that the episode had in the batch. So it really has nothing to do with release date or where it fell in the season. It had to do with when it was assigned and entered production. Yeah, I think what's important is that they get it. <clears throat> yeah. And then they even switch later in the series to uh, letter codes only. Isn't that right? Uh, they changed the... Um, well, no, not letter codes only because... Season 10, episode 13 would be AABF09. Right. So they changed the batch code to letter. Oh, okay. All right. And God knows what AABF09 stands for. (laughs) But, but even Chuck, like, as far as I'm concerned, um, if you are referencing an episode and you say something like season four, episode six, I I don't know what episode that is. Yeah. Um, so I, I go by title. I don't even go by title. I just go by the one. About this. Well, yeah, I mean, let's say I go by title when it's obvious, like Marge versus the monorail. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I usually will go by, yeah, the one where, you know, Homer did blank. Right, exactly. That's what Friends did. Yeah, that was actually the title, though, right? Yeah. So season four, episode six, by the way, was the one about the itchy and scratchy movie. Oh, nice. Which Bart is banned from seeing but ends up becoming a Supreme Court justice because Homer <laughs> took the stand and punished him. <laughs> Um, so they have, uh, many staples on the show, uh, that they've done over the years. We mentioned, uh, the blackboard gag at the beginning of the intro. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the intro itself is, is got some long running gags. Besides Bart writing different messages on the chalkboard, uh, during detention hall over and over. Uh, the couch gag, when the family runs in finally all together into the living room to get on the couch, it's always something different and special and funny. Yeah. And apparently some of them are like way longer than others. Yes. Um, they will add seconds onto it be, if, like, an episode came in shorter than they meant it to. Yeah, it's kind of nice to have that leeway to play with, I think. For sure. And they've actually um, made pretty good hay by outsourcing that, too. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, to, to, like, guest animators like Guillermo del Toro oh, did one. Oh, yeah, sure. Banksy did one. Um, so they're actually doing those. I just thought it was sort of an homage. No, no, they're they're either actually animating them or coming up with the idea oh, and wow. or directing them. That's awesome. Um, Don Hertzfeld did one. Bill Plimpton did one. John Crick Falsey. I've never known how to say his name, but the guy who did Ren and Stimpy, uh-huh. he did one. I, like, I just can't imagine what an honor it would be to do the couch gag. Yeah. But they've come up with some really cool stuff. Um, Matt Groening, 
Can we do a couch gag? <laughs> what if he's been listening since he wrote that down on his script? Man, that would be something else. I would guess he would be like, I'm not even listening to this one. <laughs> or these two. Yeah. Or what if he listened to the first and not the second? That would be the biggest dagger. <laughs> like, nah, can't go on. Yeah. <laughs> um. So Maggie, when she gets scanned uh, at the grocery store in the beginning sequence, uh, originally in 1989, she got scanned as $847.63 mm-hmm. because apparently that was the, the price – the estimated price of raising a baby for a month. Wow. That's and a lot for back then. It is. And then in 2009, that was uh, changed out. Uh, the grocery start with a number of 243.26. And then Maggie, when she is swiped, doubles that to 486.52. And I'm not sure of the significance of that. Not either. But I bet someone knows. Again, Matt Greening, let us know. Uh, what else? Treehouse of Horror? Very yeah. classic. Was that in the first season? Did they start that in the first season, do you know? I think so. I think so, too. But just, like, what a great tradition to just throw, like, they threw continuity out the window. Characters could be killed off. Mm-hmm. They routinely would um, spoof, like, great sci-fi and horror movies. It was just fun to watch. Yeah. Because it didn't count. It didn't have anything to do with anything. It was just, like, taking the, the cartoon f- aspect of the show and like just fleshing it out in the grand tradition of cartoons yeah and those are those are always some of my uh, favorite episodes over time (laughs) for the halloween episodes (laughs) uh many many catchphrases over the years have become part of just part of american culture part of the lexicon from uh doe from homer right which is translated in different languages yeah in french it's toe (laughs) with a t and then in Spanish, it's ouch. Did you know that? I did not know that, which uh, is weird because it's not a physical thing, but it is sort of an ouch, right. an, an emotional ouch. Hey, well, did you know that it's in the um, Oxford English Dictionary? I did. And what's the definition? Did you did you find it, um, I it somewhere? Uh, I, I did see it, but I don't remember. Do you have it? I do. I found it. All right. It is expressing frustration at the realization that things have turned out badly or not as planned or that one has said something foolish. All right. That's a pretty good definition of dough. <laughs> I think everyone has had a friend uh, over the years that said, excellent, a little oh, too much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, Comic Book Man, uh, worst episode ever. Yeah. That's that one, kind of a classic one. That's a good um, – Good starting point to talk about their um, uh, some more self self referential humor. So that was about I don't remember what episode that was or what season it was, but that was from the Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie episode, right? Uh-huh. So at the time, people were like kind of hating on The Simpsons. It was becoming trendy to to talk about how it had jumped the shark, although I don't think that was a term yet. And <clears throat> the Simpsons made fun of it by creating this this episode where Itchy and Scratchy had become hip or unhip and, and old and so they, they to rev stuff up they brought in Poochie the uh, talking dog yeah who is an extreme like skateboarding guitar playing <laughs> ninja <laughs> yeah I think and um, just completely threw off like the whole itchy and scratchy show yeah and that's where comic book guy says worst episode ever uh-huh. when they, he's <laughs> talking about the itchy and scratchy and Poochie episode and <clears throat> Bart's like well you know um you know, where, where do you get off saying that? And he's like, well, as 
as my as a loyal fan, I feel like they owe me. He's like, what do you mean they owe you? They've given you hundreds of hours of free entertainment. If anything, you owe them. <laughs> and he goes, worst episode ever. Yeah, I would say that's a subtle dig. <laughs> yeah. From Simpsons writers to Simpsons nerds. For sure. And then also in that same episode, there's another great one, too, if I may. Um like the super, super nerds. I, I don't remember the guy's name, but just he's like got the messed up hair and he's wearing like a green cardigan all the time and glasses. Uh-huh. But there's an itchy and scratchy like Q&A or something like that. And the guy asks the question. He says, um, he goes, so in episode whatever, whatever, um, I, like itchy plays Scratchy's skeleton like a xylophone and they show him hitting the same rib twice in succession, but it plays two distinct notes. I hope somebody got fired for that screw up. <laughs> so, you know, so they were very much aware of the, the growing, um, viciousness of their own fans. Yeah, for sure. That, that is just totally commonplace now. But at the time, it was just developing because that was about the time the Internet was really developing. Yeah. And, of course, everybody knows the Internet brings out the absolute worst in humanity. Yeah. Uh, here's another cool thing that's happened over the years. Is the Simpsons has had an uh, – in Time Magazine wrote this great article where they kind of broke it down. Thirteen times the Simpsons actually predicted the future. Um, it's it's not quite on the level of me uh, wanting to punch Jared from Subway or Sharknado. <laughs> I, I know, man. You do have a pretty good track record. But uh it is pretty interesting over the years some of the things that The Simpsons has uh, parodied that ended up happening in real life. Mm-hmm. So thanks to Time Magazine, we're going to go over some of these, maybe not all 13. No, just the good ones. Uh One of the best. It's very sad and tragic. But they actually did predict a full 10 years earlier uh Siegfried and Roy's tiger attack. Did they correctly predict which one would be attacked? You know, I'm not sure because Roy was the one who was attacked in real life. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I I want to say... Uh, I think Siegfried got attacked in the cartoon. Oh, really? I didn't know if it was one or both. I can't remember. Oh, maybe it was both. But that was in 1993 and it actually really did happen uh, in 2003. In season five, episode 10, uh, Springfield, S being a dollar sign... Or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love Legalized Gambling. That was so great. That was the one uh, where Robert Goulet hits Millhouse with his microphone. (laughs) That's right. And that title, of course, is also a reference to uh, Dr. Strangelove. Right. All right. What else we got? Um, Let's see. Voting machine errors. Yeah. Counting the wrong votes. Um, I don't remember what the episode was, but... um, Season 20, episode four, Treehouse of Horror. (laughs) Oh, was it that one? Uh Uh-huh. So Homer was trying to vote for, I guess, McCain at first and then ends up it, it ends up being switched to Obama. Is that no, correct? he tries to vote for Obama and he does it a few times and it gets switched back to McCain. Gotcha. Which actually happened in real life in that very election. That's right. In 2012, uh, there was that famous video footage of uh, in Pennsylvania of people voting for Obama and it's switching it to Mitt Romney. <laughs> oh, that's right. So the next election. Um, what else? The autocorrect one is kind of funny. Uh, 1994, episode eight of season six, Lisa mm-hmm. on ice. Uh, Lisa was, um, or, uh, Kearney actually during a school assembly, um, asked Dolph, this fellow bully, to take a memo to beat up Martin on his Newton. Remember the Newton? <laughs> Apple's sure. little, uh, I guess the original PDA from Apple. It was, but it had, um, 
it had, I guess, writing to text function that didn't work that well. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it, he said to take a memo, beat up Martin, and it changed it to eat up Martha, <laughs> yeah. which is pretty funny. Yeah. And right. everyone suffers through that today with it. Well, let's get real. It's not suffering, but gets annoyed by their feels smartphone. Like, feels like suffering. <laughs> uh, I got another one. President Trump. Yeah. So there's this clip apparently of Trump announcing his candidacy that they made after he actually had announced it. But people sent it around and said it just became an urban legend that they had made this before he actually announced his, his campaign. Yeah. That's just false. But there's another earlier episode from, I believe, 2000, if I'm not mistaken, where it shows the future and Lisa is president. And she um, just references President Trump. She says, we we inherited a pretty big debt, debt um, crunch from President Trump. So we're going to have a lot of work ahead of us. Um, and I guess Al Jean or somebody who was interviewed said that, they just they asked themselves like what would what would represent the lowest point for America um, that that we could possibly hit in the future, and they said to themselves, "Well, President Trump." <laughs> so now now we've hit um, apparently the lowest point as far as the uh, Simpsons are concerned. <laughs> uh, last one I'm going to pick: America's Ebola outbreak, and this one I'm picking because it was a 17 years early. Mm-hmm. Uh, in season nine, episode three, Elisa Sachs in 1997, uh, Marge offers to read, uh, Bart, but he was depressed. He, she offers to read him a book called Curious George and the Ebola Virus, <laughs> which, um, I mean, no one knew at all what Ebola was in 1997. That's pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. Not bad, Simpsons. Yeah. Any other ones? Nah. All right. Check out that Time Magazine article to, uh, if you want the full list. Um, so what's up next, Chuck? Shall we talk about the success of The Simpsons, the cultural impact? I feel like we can take our final break now. Man. (laughs) What a journey. It has been a heck of a journey, buddy. All right. And we'll come back and finish up with uh, a lot more Easter eggs, uh, what some critics have said over the years, and and kind of just a a lovely summation. (laughs) Stuff you should know. All right, Chuck. So you promised Easter eggs. People want Easter eggs. I want Easter eggs. <laughs> Let's talk Easter eggs. Yeah, this was compiled. Uh, NME uh, put together a list of 50 Easter eggs, and we've covered a lot of them. And so uh, we'll we'll go over some of the faves here that remain. Uh, did not know this, but uh, Bart obviously is very famous for his prank phone calls to Moe's Tavern, mm-hmm. one of the great, great running bits over the years. Uh, and the number he dials is 764-8437-7, which it's funny in itself because it's got one extra digit. Right. But that actually smells out, uh, spells out Smithers. Perfect. Pretty good. Um, I've got one. Everybody, uh, on the show has four fingers. Yeah. Four, four digits on their hands, right? <laughs> uh uh-huh. And there's only been one person on the entire show who had five, and that was God. When I think Heretic Homer episode where Homer decides he doesn't want to go to church anymore. <laughs> That's a good one, too. Pretty good. Uh, speaking of, oh, uh, originally 
that was just written in the script and continues to be written in the script. <clears throat> Unless uh, they may actually write it as a line now, but originally it was in the script as annoying, annoyed grunt. <laughs> and that's what Dan Castellaneta came up with. Genius. Not bad. And he, apparently he based it on a recurring character from the old Laurel and Hardy series. Yeah. Dude, that is an arcane reference right there. <laughs> no, not bad. Um, like we said, Doe made it into the um, Oxford English Dictionary. So too did meh. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, and they didn't make up meh, but apparently they kind of brought it back into popular usage. Right. And it was kind of big starting in the 90s. Now it's just a timeless classic, basically. But it was added in 2015 to the OED, and the definition is expressing a lack of interest or enthusiasm. Pretty succinct. Yeah, I think Al Jean said something about it being like one of the funniest words in the English language. I think he's right. It really, if you time it out right, <laughs> a good meh is really pretty great. Yeah. Because a lot of times it's used a very, like, uh, not sarcastically, but what, like if something is really great and then you say it's meh. It just shuts it down automatically. Yeah. It is pretty great. Uh, here's one. Principal Skinner, uh, his prisoner uniform in Vietnam was 24601. Yeah. Uh, and he shared that uh, prisoner number with uh, Jean Valjean sure. from Les Miserables, uh, from Hank Jennings in Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. who no doubt got it from Jean Valjean. Sure. And then Sideshow Bob also has that very same prisoner number. It's a, it's a good prisoner number. A- Bob, uh, a.k.a. Robert Terwilliger. Right. Robert uh, Underdunk Terwilliger is his I, full name. <laughs> yeah. It's a, such a great name. Yeah. Um, I, I've got another one. I did not know this. I hadn't even heard this. But the do the Bartman single that actually topped the charts in the UK and I think the US too in 1990? Yeah, not a fan. So you had um, – <laughs> you had remember the, where Otto's listening to the Simpsons Calypso record? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, – Apparently, Michael Jackson actually produced that song. Oh, really? That track, yeah. He was a guest on the show, too. He was. He was an uncredited guest. He played a large, white, um, maybe construction worker, I think, who Homer met at a mental hospital who thought he was Michael Jackson and had Michael Jackson's voice. (laughs) But they never credited Michael Jackson on the episode. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Here's one of my favorites. Uh, Milhouse Van Houten, his middle name is Mussolini. Yeah, so I think good. one of the greatest Millhouse gags of all time was um, when Bart had his leg broken and they got a swimming pool and they they basically did rear window. Remember that one? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Millhouse is signing Bart's cast, and he's like, "I gotta go, Bart." And it, he Bart looks down at his cast and says, "Mill pool," because he wants to go to play in the pool rather than hang out with Bart. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those ones you just gotta see it. I think. Yeah, it's, for it's sure. funnier seen than explained. And actually, isn't that the premise that it's just funnier to just go watch this stuff? Oh yeah. I hope everybody knows that we know that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, please go watch this stuff if you haven't already. <laughs> dive, dive back in, and if you have, um, here's another one: Springfield uh, hillbilly Cletus, which we mentioned earlier. Cletus is like jawed yokel and uh, his wife Brandine. They have 44 kids. <laughs> Right. Some of their names. These are great. Uh, one of them's name is Incest. <laughs> one of them's name is Crystal Meth. Sure. Uh, spelled like the name Crystal. Yeah. Uh, Normal Head Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably the best one of all. Normal Head Joe's good. My favorite one is uh, Mary WrestleMania. <laughs> 
But Normal Head Joe is great because <laughs> it's it references the idea that the other kids' heads aren't normal. Yeah. Or that, that there's another one named Joe who doesn't have a normal head, you know? And that actually brings to mind, if I may, another joke of, that I think is possibly the best joke ever said on The Simpsons. Are you ready for this? Yeah. I don't remember what episode it was, but Homer is reminiscing about something that happened in his past, in his life. And he, like, he got in trouble or something with some bootleggers, but luckily his friend Fonzie came and beat them up and <laughs> saved the day. Yeah. And Marge goes, that was happy days. And Homer says, no, they weren't all happy days, Marge. <laughs> And it says a lot. So number one, Homer is thinking that an, a Happy Days episode is uh, an actual memory from his life. Yeah. That's funny enough. But there's also like this other nuanced joke, too, where he thinks that either Marge's grasp on grammar is so bad that those were Happy Days comes out. That was Happy Days. Yeah. Or his own grasp on grammar is that bad that it, he 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 thought that was correct, and he fails to remember the show Happy Days. Right, exactly. Man. So there's like five different things like writhing in this perfect <laughs> joke. That that I mean, that was just like a throwaway joke for The Simpsons, you know. Yeah. But if you put thirty seasons of that combined, you get a, just an amazing masterpiece. One big masterpiece. Yeah. So I went through and uh, looked up a bunch of. Um, best episodes of the Simpsons lists. And I'll just rattle through those, uh, to see what different people think. And you can see a little bit of a pattern here. I'll well, just name like the one and two. You're going to share yours too, though, right? I didn't narrow it down. Okay. I got a couple to mention then. All right. Uh, so Rolling Stone magazine says, uh, Marge versus the monorails, their best ever, uh, with Lisa the vegetarian is number two. That's a good one. So good. Uh, Digital Spy says Homer the Great is number one. Homer the Heretic, number two. Mm. Uh, IGN goes with Marge versus the Monorails, number one again. And Rosebud is number two. So good. That one's so great. It's Citizen Kane parody? Yeah. Uh, Entertainment Weekly, uh, Monorail again is number one. And I think, actually, their number two is one of my top two, uh, the Cape Fear spoof. That was great. You know? Yeah, where Sideshow Bob comes, gets out of prison and so good. stalks Bart and the yeah. family and they go into the witness protection program. <laughs> and Homer can't get that. He has a different name now and he's supposed to respond to it. Yeah. He's like, when I call you Bob Williams <laughs> and step on your foot, you say yes. Uh, Den of Geek goes with you only move twice as number one. That's the great James Bond spoof, the Hank Scorpio. Yeah. And then Homer versus the 18th Amendment is number two. What was, what was, oh, was that the Beer Baron episode? Yeah, I think so. That was so great. Uh, Consequence of Sound, Homer goes to college, number one, Monorail, number two. Mm-hmm. And then Vulture goes with Cape Fear, number one, and Last Exit to Springfield is number two. That was the one with the, the dental plan and Lisa needs braces. Right. Where it's all about like union organizing and union busting and all that. Yeah, so, I mean, definitely minor mm-hmm. in there. And I'll just go ahead and throw the stone cutters in there as well. That was a great one, too. Yeah. I have a couple others to add to it, if I may. Please. Homer, H-O-M backward R. Uh-huh. The one where it turns out that Homer has a crayon lodged in his brain, yeah. which accounts for his <laughs> sub-average intellect, right? Yeah. And he has it removed, and he suddenly becomes smart. So this is like a really good example of the impact The Simpsons had on my life. I love that episode. I thought it was great. I watched it again last night. It was as good, if not better, than it was 10 or so years ago. 
Um, and then today, as I was researching it some more, I realized, and I didn't realize this, but it was uh, based on the the premise of Flowers for Algernon, and then the movie that was made based on Flowers for Algernon, Charlie, which oh, yeah. explains the backward R. There's a backward R in Charlie in the movie title. Man. And um, it, it kind of roughly parallels it. There's a rat that Homer is playing a, a test with that I didn't get until I read up on it. Oh, yeah. So this episode that I love and I think is hilarious just introduced me to Charlie in Flyers for Algernon, which I did not read in middle school or high school. Right? Yeah, I did. So I will probably go back and watch Charlie now, and I will <laughs> love that Homer episode even more as a result. Yeah, man, they go so deep. They really do. Because also, it's not just that. Like, they didn't just leave it at, well, here's a parody of Charlie or Flowers for Algernon, and you'll love it uh, for that. It's also the premise of the episode is it's an examination of anti-intellectualism, you know? Yeah. And the, the whole the whole basis of it is like, hey, no, actually, it's pretty great to be smart. Yeah. And that it's hard to be smart, too, especially in a world of dum-dums. As for Matt Groening... <laughs> His uh, top ten, and this was, uh, I mean, it's hard to believe this was done 17 years ago, but a lot of people look at the 90s as sort of the golden age of The Simpsons. Yeah. So as for that golden age, uh, Graining's top ten are Bart the Daredevil, Life on the Fast Lane, Much a Poo About Nothing, mm-hmm. A Streetcar Named Marge. Oh, that one was so good. Uh, in Marge We Trust, Homer's Enemy, Treehouse of Horror 7, uh, Natural Born Kissers, Krusty Gets Busted, and there's no disgrace like home. I don't. I'm, oh, is that the one where the child services maybe comes? Oh, I don't know, but that one's good. If that is the one. <laughs> if you don't have, keep your milk in a refrigerator, or <laughs> barring that in a cool, wet sack. <laughs> oh man, maybe we should just launch a side podcast uh, on The Simpsons. Yeah, just called uh, Josh and Chuck giggle a lot. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, right. Can I throw out a couple more? Oh, yeah, sure. Lisa the Skeptic was a great one yeah. where uh, Stephen Jay Gould is in it. They find like what looks to be an angel fossil, but it's a PR stunt for the local mall. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. The Death of Maud, again, I think was just about as good as an animated TV show has ever gotten as far yeah. as tackling like a serious subject. Totally. And then I went back and watched it again last night, and it is really great. Um, so it's still in my top echelon. But in Marge We Trust, which is the Mr. Sparkle episode. Yeah, and that was on Matt Groening's list. And I think, I mean, I looked through the top tens of all those sites. That one's in the top ten of everybody's. It's just so good. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is it's so trendy now. It's like a social signifier. Yeah. That you're in like a hip in-group to say, the Simpsons sucked after season eight or the Simpsons sucked after season ten. And that is demonstrably false. Yeah. There are so many good episodes that you can point to that came after season 10 um, that that you can't like there's this whole idea that there's this thing called zombie Simpsons and it's the show that closely resembles the Simpsons in look and feel but is nowhere near as funny as the Simpsons which actually took place during the 90s and to me it smacks of that whole refusal to surrender what you thought was cool or what was cool when you were young right is now not necessarily as cool as it was, which means by proxy, you're not as cool, right? And so there's that whole side thing of aging where you want to remain relevant or whatever, and you can become cursed to just hang on to what you identify with rather than 
branching out and looking at the world as it changes as it changes, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's part of it. And I, I just, I think that's stupid to just close your mind like that and be like, the Simpsons sucked after season 10, end of story, period. And there seems to be a lot of people out there who are more than happy to do that. Yeah. I mean, the grabster actually had a nice little summation about that whole attitude. Um, and dude, what this has done is it's made me want to go back and I'm going to and start watching the show again. Uh, well, you can, and here's a little bit of buzz marketing for FFX, FXX, sorry. They have, um, every Simpsons episode yeah. online and you can watch it. I'm not sure if you have to pay or if you just have to sign up and submit to spam or whatever, but <laughs> it's all there. Yeah. Well, I know what I'll be doing now. <laughs> Emily's like, seriously? Yeah. <laughs> You're regressing. Um, so Ed had a lot of good points as far as that, like, it's not as good as it used to be. Um, could be a perception thing because they might be a victim of their own success that it was so great during the 1990s mm-hmm. that even the slightest fall off from that might be uh, bigger than expected. Yeah, and they addressed that in the Itching, Scratching, Poochie episode, too, because Kent Brockman reports that um, criti- – or um, uh, fans of the beloved show have been watching for cracks in its veneer for years now. Yeah. You know, I know, and it's the same thing. It's like, um, if 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 you are that good, can you possibly keep it up? And if you even slip a little bit, people are just going to throw their hands up. Yeah, part of it is the fragmentation of the audience. I mean, I'm 46 years old, and I saw the first episode my senior year of high school. Yeah. It's ridiculous how long the show has been on. And I didn't think, oh, this show sucks now. I've got to quit watching it. I got a little busy. It fell away and never came back. And that just happens sometimes. Sure. I think that happens with people who listen to our show. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, like I don't I don't think people who stop listening. Some people stop listening out of disgust, mostly conservative <laughs> Americans. But a lot of people, they just like their lives change yeah, a little bit. And that happens. You just end up not listening anymore. That's fine. Yeah. It also makes a point about um, the, the Simpsons was so groundbreaking in its satire that that's being done so much. It's not as uh, it's just not as unique as it used to be. Like they they didn't create satire, obviously. But in 1989 and 1990, there wasn't a lot of stuff like this at all going on television. No. So there's so much of that now. They're, again, a little bit of victims of, of their own success in that there's there's just so much to choose from satirically that it's tough to stick with something like that for 30 years yep. and say it's just as sharp as it ever was. It may be just as sharp as it ever was, but it just might not seem that way because so many other people are doing what they started. Um. I read this 1990 article and I think the New Statesman, and it was basically saying the Simpsons is a direct challenge to the GOP's identity as the, the party that provides for, you know, the, um, the, the middle America, the yeah. middle American family. Because if, if they were doing such a great job of it, then there would be no popularity for the Simpsons or for Roseanne, right? Uh-huh. So early on, it was like a real challenge to the status quo and the established sense of like wholesome Americanness. Oh, yeah. And George Bush even very famously said, George Bush Sr., um, who was a president before W., 
for those of you who weren't alive back then. <laughs> but his, uh, George Bush Sr. said, I want America to be more like the Waltons and less like the Simpsons. Yeah. And Barbara Bush said it was the dumbest thing she'd ever seen on TV. Right. And there was a lot, there was a lot of that at first. And especially it was because Bart was, his t-shirts were everywhere and kids were saying like, don't have a cow man to their parents and stuff like that. And so part of it was the initial mistaken taking of the of the Simpsons and be and missing what it actually was. But then another part of it was America was just a different place. Yeah. And the moral majority was in charge and pretending like everything was absolutely perfect. And shows like this came along and really challenged that. Today, if you look at the, the current climate, I saw a really great, great description of how hard it is to be satirical. Yeah. It was in Al Jazeera. And they said, in an era when Dennis Rodman is serving as a makeshift ambassador <laughs> to North Korea, yeah. it's difficult to write satire that stands out. Yeah. It, and we have friends that uh, write for uh, for TV and for uh, The Onion and satire. And I know that it's been a challenge for them to come up with anything that seems fresh and unique yeah. in this day and age. For sure. You know? So I'm sure that's part of it, too. Uh, here's some sanctimonious drivel from Bill Cosby. <laughs> August 31st, 1990, Entertainment Weekly magazine, Mr. Cosby said, TV should be uh, – I would do a Cosby voice, but it's not oh, funny to would. do that anymore. Uh, TV should be moving in a direction from the Huxtables forward, not backward. The mean-spirited and cruel think this kind of programming is the edge, and their excuse is – that's the way people are today. But why should we be entertained by that? Right. So, uh, and this was the time when Bill Cosby was like the moral mouthpiece of America. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and so in a sense, like Matt Groening took him on and took on the Bushes and um, just took on that whole false wholesomeness. Yeah. And today, it's like now you just. It's not even a question. Like, of course, that that whole thing is taken. I'm like, go try to find a show on prime time that even vaguely resembles Major Dad or My Two Dads. You can't find it. They're not there. Yeah. Everything is has gone the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh And it's become we're just entirely cynical. But we're so cynical that there isn't room for satire like there used to be. So now I think there's going to be a backlash Probably from, I don't know where it's going to come from, but I predict a, a basically a wholesome backlash. Or um, I don't think it's going to be that whole earnest thing that didn't actually take off very well. Yeah. Everybody got sick of that really quick. But there's going to be, I think, something a little more um, bona fide and genuine that will develop out of cynicism. Because I don't think you can keep... I don't think cynicism can be maintained for too long before everybody just kind of commits cultural suicide, you know? I think it's already happening. Like shows like Masters of None and uh, from Aziz Ansari and Tig Notaro's One Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Like if you've seen those shows, they're not cynical. They're very kind of sweet, warm-hearted shows. And they're funny and they may bring up relevant satirical things, but – they're both very genuine shows, and it's just done in the right way. It's not, you know, touched by an angel. Right, and that was another reason, Chuck, that that Barbara Bush and George Bush really missed the point. Because the Simpsons may have ultimately kind of created the groundwork for America to create the cynical shift or shift to the cynicism. Maybe, or maybe that was politics. One of the two, right? Um, but they missed 
the basis of the Simpsons. And the basis of the Simpsons is morality, like actual real morality, like making good moral decisions, making bad moral decisions, having consequences, family coming together and actually like looking out for one another. Things actually kind of working out in the end, like Bart and and Marge having their marriage tested, but then it, it's surviving and being stronger on the other side. But without a hint of schmaltziness, without a hint of fake wholesomeness. Yeah, it was they had the wherewithal to put that through those those tropes or those those moral ideas through the grinder of reality and managed to get it out on the other side and said see you actually can be a good moral upstanding person and and survive in cynical times in in times that beat you down and um we're proving it every sunday with with our show yeah Man, what a great show. What a great show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to The Simpsons and everyone who's ever been involved in it for making it because you literally changed the world and and for the better. That's right. And as of May of this year, uh, The Simpsons has broadcast more than 600 episodes, aired for more seasons than any primetime scripted show in TV history. And by the time the 30th season will end, there will be more episodes of The Simpsons than any other primetime scripted show. Uh, finally, finally passing Gunsmoke. <laughs> Man. Man alive, Chuck. Dude, great job. Great job to you too, buddy. This was a pleasure. Um, I think I'm going to just go back and start researching The Simpsons again, so maybe we should do that side podcast. <laughs> we might could. <laughs> um, so is this it? Is this the end? Yeah, so in lieu of listener mail... Uh, 999th and 1,000th episode, uh, we shall give thanks uh, to everyone out there that uh, how appropriate that <clears> The <throat> Simpsons uh, is our tribute, such a long-running show, and mm-hmm. here we are at some place that we never, ever, ever, ever thought that we would be, Yeah, to say the least. No, we've done pretty good for a show that has rights-free theme music, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, like software canned theme music. Yeah, like people write in sometimes like, I, I heard your theme song on a mattress <laughs> ad. Are you guys going to sue them? Nope. Nope. Can't do it. Rights free. Uh, so we've said it a lot over the years, but obviously we would not still be doing this if uh, all of you were not out there downloading and listening and interacting with each other via mm-hmm. the Stuff You Should Know Army. Yep. Coming out to see us live on tour. It is... Uh, Man, this has surpassed every expectation that either one of us, including Jerry, ever yeah. had for ourselves. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you forever. Yeah, thank you to not just like the super fans, but the fans, the casual listeners, basically anyone who's ever heard a Stuff You Should Know episode. Listen to it, learn something from it, laugh to themselves over it. Maybe got a weird look on the subway or whatever. Yeah. Thanks to all of you. Thank you to all of you for supporting us for this long. And, um, Chuckers, here's to the next thousand episodes, buddy. Let's do it, brother. And then, Jerry, you, are you down with another thousand episodes? That's great, Jerry. And you know what, Jerry, you want to say a few words? Go ahead. I, th- I think she should, Chuck. All right, let- let's hear it. Go for it, Jerry. <sighs> well put, Jerry. Yeah, I... I- that actually made me tear up. Yeah. 
Uh, so in the meantime, while you wait for episode 2000, you can get in touch with us. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. Uh, I'm also at Josh Um Clark on Twitter. Uh, Chuck's at Charles W. Chuck Bryant on Facebook. Uh, I'm at Josh Clark, I think, on Facebook, something like that. <laughs> you can also visit our official Facebook page at slash stuff you should know. You can send us an email, including Jerry, dear Jerry Roland, who I'm just going to go ahead and say it for our thousandth episode, Chuck. Jerry does, in fact, exist. Of course she does. Uh, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. Uh, and as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. <laughs>